Hey Siri, remind me to pick up mom's present tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me about family game night on Friday afternoon. Hey Siri, remind me about the parent-teacher conference tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me to call grandma today. Hey Siri, remind me to schedule the kids' dentist appointments. Hey Siri. 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 I'm super excited to share again with you. Uh, we're in this part of our series that we're, where we're really addressing the family. And uh, as, as the family, you know, I'm, I'm a young dad, I'm a young husband, and, and I've got three young kids. Uh, my wife, Amy, she's sitting here on the front row. Most of you know her, um, but she's an amazing woman. But we're, we're nine years in, and we're trying to figure this thing out still, right? But what we do know is that we're really busy. We're really busy. We're running at like breakneck speed. It, it seems like things almost never slow down. And so we're, we're excited to you know, really kind of slow down and, and talk about this part of our series, the letter or a reminder to the busy family. Uh, and that's, that's what we're focused on today. Now, I want to kind of uh, look forward to next week before we start talking about what we're going to do, because next week we've got something unique that's going to happen. Uh, we are actually going to, uh, we're banning all of your 9 to 12 year olds from kids ministry. None of them are allowed in kids ministry next week, but we've got to, there's a good reason why. There's, there's a reason why it has nothing to do with their behavior or the fact that we don't love them. We love them dearly, but uh, we love them so much that we actually want to invite them into this room so that when we're having our conversation about how parents will parent and uh, how children should engage with their parents, that they'll be able to benefit from that conversation. So uh, we hope that you guys are excited to bring your nine to 12 year olds in this room next Sunday. You know, I believe that those nine to 12 year olds, they, they get more than we think they get. And I think they're going to get a lot from the conversation that we're having next week. So that's next week. Uh, last week, I want to kind of remind you where we're coming from. Last week, we really laid the foundation for understanding that marriage is a reflection of the gospel. And what we shared was that when, when the gospel affects our marriage, our marriage reflects the gospel. I, I think you ought to put that in your pocket. That, that's such an important foundational truth to carry with you whether you're married or not. As a matter of fact, I want to speak to some of you that aren't married, some of you young people, you teenagers, or, or, or some of you singles, you young adults, or wherever you're at in your life. If you're not married yet, man, don't turn this off. Listen to this. Engage, because this matters for you too. Because one day you may be married, and, and God wants to do some things in your heart now to prepare you for that. Now, when the gospel affects our marriage, our marriage reflects the gospel. What does that really mean? We're going to kind of um, unpack more of that this week. And, and really, it's under the, the kind of umbrella this week of talking about roles within the marriage. So, you know, men and women have roles within their marriage. Now, God has a plan for marriage, and it starts with us being in Christ. Uh, you know, we're, we're here at the local church, and so when we talk about marriage, we know that there's a lot of different arrangements uh, in our society, but we're really speaking to, to this union between believers, and, and even in the church, there's some unique uh, distinctions from situation to situation, but uh, it has to be predicated on the fact that it's two people in Christ. Uh, we'll talk about more of that if we find that that's not the case, but Paul said in verse 18 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to chapter 5 in Ephesians. He said in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That comes when we put our trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. He seals us with our sonship or daughtership, you know, and, and we become believers. And as Spirit-filled people, we can move towards God's will. For, that wasn't distracting at all. Not at all, but... <laughs> No big deal. Was it like, were all of you distracted? Anyway, so as spirit-filled people, we can move towards God's will for marriage. 
And so skip a few verses down in chapter five. And uh, Paul, the man that wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus, he writes this. He writes, submit to one another out of reverence. That word reverence is this idea of deep respect, even a, even a healthy fear. Reverence for Christ. Now, marriage is sacred. You realize it's a very spiritual thing. The way that we engage in our marriage is a reflection of our relationship with God. It's, it's sacred. And, and being anchored to this idea that all that we do in our marriage is out of reverence for Christ is vital. It's vital. So the last third of the, the uh, book of Ephesians, we've started to really get into some practical things. Well, in this, in this last third, we're seeing this, a, a, lot of, a lot of conversation that is really uh, being instructed to people who are in Christ and now experiencing an overflow of the Spirit in their lives. And we see instruction for those Spirit-filled people. This is, this is what your life should look like. And, and Paul, he begins to speak about marriage in this chapter. Now, for anyone that's been married, you know that marriage is a wonderful thing, right? Marriage is incredible. But marriage is also a little difficult. I mentioned to you just a moment ago, uh, me and Amy, we've been married nine years. And in that nine years, um, we have thought probably 12 times over that we've got this thing figured out. <laughs> and then we were surprised to find that we had no idea what we were doing. And, and really, we went into our marriage with this goal, this ambition to really have a, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered approach to marriage. But what we really wound up doing was we entered into marriage with more of a, I don't know, high expectation that was probably based in self-centeredness more than it was based in gospel-centeredness. And then, and then you know what happens when you have high expectations and you don't meet those expectations for one another? Well, you start having what I refer to as really passionate conversations. Anybody have any really passionate conversations on the way to church this morning? Me and Amy drive separately. Pastor, you taught us that years ago. Just drive separate. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I remember this one time, me and Amy, we were probably coming home from church. It was probably like a prayer and worship night or something like that. We were on 605 over here on uh, Cowan, and, and we're southbound, and Amy's sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm driving, and, and we're having one of those passionate conversations, you know? And, and I remember looking at her thinking, man, if Demi Moore, like, you know, like, G.I. Jane Demi Moore. If Demi Moore and Samuel L. Jackson had a baby, I'm married to her, okay? <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so I didn't say that, of course, because that wouldn't be wise. But she looks at me in the midst of this argument and she says, oh, I just want to slap you right now. And I'm gripping the steering wheel and gripping the shifter, and it's not a stick shifter. I'm gripping that joker. <laughs> and I look over at her, and I said, if you put your hands on me, it's going to change the whole dynamic of our relationship. <laughs> that was one of the worst ones, you know. We haven't had too many like that, but, um, you know, it's difficult. It really is. And, and what we didn't realize was that the first purpose of marriage is to honor God. Beyond happiness and sexual expression and, and fruitfulness and, and bearing children and fulfillment and care and provision and all those things. The first role of marriage is to honor God. And you know what? If we're not getting exactly what we think we need, if we'll continue to keep an emphasis and focus of honoring God, God will help us. And he's been faithful to do that. Now, 
we're going to talk about one way to honor God in marriage, and that's to have godly order. So godly order really is, is, is something that our society struggles with. There's this increasing confusion about marriage and gender roles in our society. And it's really no different than what was happening in the church of Ephesus. I want you to imagine for just a moment a young man getting married, and all he's ever seen is his daddy or his uncles or his big brothers or, or whoever as an example of, of really being the the head of the house with a, a supreme authority in the house where, where he carries complete and total control. And furthermore, it's not just that, but he also never expresses love to his wife because that wasn't the way they viewed women. They viewed women as valueless. And then imagine a young woman who's grown up in that kind of culture and she's getting ready to marry and she's felt devalued and unloved. And she gets married, and all of a sudden, she hears about this godly order thing, and she's like, I can't get into that kind of position. I've seen the consequences of that in other people's marriages, and you know what? I'm my own person. And then you compound some of those practical realities with the fact that this is a sinner, and this is a sinner, and God's trying to mature them and sanctify them, and you get a lot of problems in the midst of that. And we see that today. We see a lot of people that don't know how to love and respect one another. And that's why Paul wrote in verse 33, we're going to skip all the way down past some of the, the text we're going to look back to in just a second. He says, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And men then and now struggle to love their wives and women then and now struggle to respect their husbands. Now, marriages are filled with strife and brokenness and, and selfishness. And a lot of that actually not only has to do with sin, but has to do with disorder. And that wasn't God's intent. See, the role of the husband and the wife and ultimately the order in the marriage are supposed to illustrate Christ's relationship to the church and the church's relationship to Christ. And, and a lot of our marriages fail to reflect that. And we need help. We need the word of God to, to show us what a good framework is, what a good pattern of thinking is, but we also need that word to come to life inside of us. We need God's Holy Spirit to, to make that change us and, and to cause it to, to convict us and to correct us and to teach us how that we should love and respect one another. So what I want to do is I want to invite God to help us with that today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we do need your help. God, I'm asking as we look at your word more closely, God, that you illuminate those things in our lives that are contrary to your word. I'm asking that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth and righteousness. God, let us see the way that you love us so that we might know how to love one another. God, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while men and women are similar in many ways, okay, men and women are also different in a number of ways. Now there's the obvious, right? Like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that there's biological differences between men and women. It's just the way we were created. Biological differences exist. But, but then there's these other differences that are less obvious. It's like this emotional and psychological thing. And, and there's all kinds of different patterns of thinking and, and different needs is really what it boils down to. And so having different needs, you know, we need to be sensitive to that. Now, Women, they need love from their husbands. They need love from their husbands. And one of the primary ways that a husband reflects that love um, is through service. 
uh, through sacrifice. And, and Paul's going to give us a variety of those things to look at here in just a little bit. But then men need respect. And, and women are supposed to provide that to men. Wives are supposed to provide respect for their husbands. And, and, and really, this is one of the, there's only one primary way that Paul illustrates how a woman is to respect her husband in this scripture. So, so we're going to look closely at how Paul defines respect. In verse 22, he begins to really kind of cook up a recipe for success in marriage. It starts here, and he starts with the ladies first, as any gentleman would do, right? He says, one thing, a spirit-filled Jesus-following wife, she does this. She submits. And then I hold up, hold up. Ladies, don't, don't pack up your purses or anything like that. Don't, be, don't, don't shut me down, okay? Listen to me. I, I know that word is difficult, especially in our society, submit. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let me start by saying this. Women, you are so strong and so capable, and so innovative, and of such great value and worth. You have been the backbone of many corporations. You're the backbone of, of countries. We see queens that have ruled better than kings. We see uh, government officials that have, uh, as uh, women government officials that have ruled better than uh, men government officials. You've been the backbone of many families, and the church, and, 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 and that is true. But when we begin to talk about submission, I, th I think some people get the impression that submitting actually robs you of what God has given you as an individual and who he has created you to be. And submission doesn't take that away from you. Submission is, is more about position and, and role within the context of family. And it's, it's all about kingdom thinking. It's bigger than what we can understand even at times in our own thinking. Now, if you struggle with Paul's instruction here about submission, I, I, I kind of understand there's a number of things that go into it. Maybe you've had a really, really bad example of men misusing and abusing this language to control. Or, or maybe you yourself have not just witnessed that, but maybe you've been a victim of that. And you've been wounded by someone being oppressive under the guise of biblical submission. And I'm sorry if that's what your experience has been, but that was not what God intended when he caused Paul to pen this letter. That is not what God has in mind for you today, and there is a better way. And it still allows for you to submit. Now, that word submit is a little bit different than the word submit that we see in other parts of the word uh, of God in, in the Bible. This word submit, it's a, it's a nuanced version of submit. It's this ideois. And, and this word actually has a, a reflection of to becoming one. And it's, it's like becoming a part of or becoming a member of something. So I'm a member of the body of Christ, the larger body, right? So I'm a part of it. My hand is a part of my arm, right? Now I'm an Italian-Irish Jew, so I, I, I do all this, right? And my hands kind of get away from me sometimes. And, and, and I could tell, you know, that's not always, always beneficial. But when my hand does what it ought to do to serve the body well, then there's order and we can be effective. And without the arm, the hand, it's detached. It's out here on its own. Without the hand, the arm has less efficacy. 
It's less efficient. So, so they're both vital for one another. And this idea of becoming a part of, it doesn't reflect necessarily this idea of um, like master and servant, okay? It, it's more of a reflection of really a lover and his beloved. It's, it's not a competition. It's completion. It's not as much about obedience as it is a woman actively and willfully following her husband out of reverence for Christ. It's a, it's a matter of the heart, not a matter of control. Do you understand? And all of this is done as an act of worship to God. So a couple things that I want to look at in regards to the spirit-filled wife and, and some things that she might consider in relationship to submission. One, the spirit-filled wife realizes that submission doesn't reduce her value. I touched on that a little bit, but I want to kind of re-emphasize that. See, in the garden, women and men were created in the image of God equally, with equal value. Now, we do see that God took the rib from Adam. Now, the rib is in his side, not his behind, not his foot, his side. And this is really the image that we understand in this language, submit. Still a part of Adam, but right beside him. And in the garden, the equality between men and women was perverted. But on the cross, equality between men and women was redeemed. See, in Jesus, we have complete equality. And if you want a good model for what women's equality would look like, if this society wanted a good model... They would do well by looking at the gospel of Jesus because through the lens of the gospel, we see complete equality across all people groups, men, women, black, white, slave and free, all. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus because he did it. So that's the first thing. You're equal. You have great value. The second thing is that a spirit-filled wife should respect her husband's ordained God or God-ordained headship. Now, headship is husband's God-authorized leadership and responsibility. When we go to verse 23, what it said was, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So, so there's this illustration, the husband is a representation of Christ, the, the wife, the representation of the body. And this idea, sadly, people are starting to think that this is outdated and antiquated. It's obsolete, but it's not. This is God's plan for success within the marriage. And it's a beautiful testimony to all of the cosmos of the glory of the gospel of Jesus. When we reflect this position, when we reflect this relationship, Principalities and powers of the darkness and angels the same are in awe of what God has done in the marriage. And that's why the marriage is under such great attack and why it's so important that we're intentional in investing our lives into being Christ-centered in our marriages. Now, how does a, a wife respect her husband's headship? I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to stand up here and tell you, well, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. That, would, that wouldn't be wise, would it? I've, I've learned that in marriage, at least. <laughs> but... But what I, what I think I'd like to do, what I think I'd like to do is share with you some of the ways that Amy, my wife, respects the headship that God's given me in our marriage. One, Amy strives to meet my needs. She strives to meet my needs. You know, if Amy had the ability to meet my needs and she refused to do so, it would feel a little disrespectful. Don't you think? You would agree. 
If someone had the ability to meet needs and chose not to, they're disregarding your needs. They're not concerned. It's inconsiderate. It's disrespectful. And Amy's always like, hey, how can I meet your needs? For years, she's been asking me, like, look, what do you like for food? What, what, what would you like me to cook? It's, it's not that she's saying, I don't have interest or have a desire for certain things. It's, I want to know what yours are, and let's, let's grow. When, I remember there was a time where she started asking me, and I was so appreciative of this. She said, look, I, I can't do everything. We had three kids. Maybe it was, at that time, two kids. I don't know. It might have been one. I don't know. It's crazy. It's been crazy. We have no idea what's happened in the last five years. It's been three kids. Y'all know. Anyway, so... It's been a minute, though, because she's been doing this a while. So, so she asked me, she said, look, I can't get everything done before you get home. My, home, my wife happens to be, at this time, a stay-at-home mom. She was you know, previously in the marketplace. But um, she, she said, I can't get everything done. So what is a priority to you so that when you walk in the house, you'll feel good? You can look past these other things. But that being done, you're, you're excited about that. Those kinds of questions, those kinds of questions matter. What, what can I do to serve you in this way? What, what do you enjoy, you know, personally and, and intimately? And, you know, how do you like to spend time when we're doing a date night? And, you know, what, what are the things that, that you like? And she became a student of me. And she realized also that there are certain needs that she could meet, but there are also certain needs that she could never meet. And she just continuously served me, met my needs by reminding me, I can't meet that need. You're going to need God for that one. <laughs> you're going to need God, God for that one. Well, you're going to need God for a lot more of these needs. And I... <laughs> She's incredible. And I don't expect her to. That would be an unrealistic expectation. Now, Amy also, she doesn't hold unrealistic expectations over my head. So, so she understands that I have limitations. I'm a human being. I'm finite. My energy, I only have so much. So she does the very best that she can to consider the weight that I'm carrying. And, and then, you know, she tries not to add too many things to the to-do list. Or if she is adding things to the to-do to the to-do list, which is important. We need to do things. We need to, you know, get the job done. She's very cautious about when to put that on me and when to talk to me about it. She's sensitive to where I'm at emotionally and in my health and in my rhythm. And instead of her giving me a to-do because she's waited to the right time, it's no longer a to-do. Like, it's a, I get to do. Man, I get to serve my family this way. It does something in my heart instead of it coming off as nagging. Does that make sense? So, so she has really learned to not hold unreasonable expectations over my head. As a matter of fact, she allows me to make bad decisions sometimes. Now, that happens. <laughs> we, we make a lot of decisions together. Almost, almost all of them we're always talking about. You know, most things are fairly important. So we make a lot of decisions together. Um, we also have, through making a lot of decisions together, learned what decisions the other would make. So some things we don't need to talk to each other as much about anymore. Uh, but then there's some things where we get to the end of our decision-making process, and, and we're like... I don't know. And she's just like, you responsible. I said, okay. And she just lets me go for it. And, and that's a way to respect the God-given responsibility that I have. And it also gets her off the hook for being held to account for it later, <laughs> which is actually wisdom. So just a, just a side note. Now, you know, I don't, I don't want to tout like anything over myself. I, I love God though. I, I love God with all my heart. And I, I do the very best I can by his grace to, to be led by him and I lean into him. And, and so my wife does have the benefit of having a godly husband in the home. And, and I know that not all of you women have a godly husband in your home. Uh, so what do you do when it comes to 
submitting when there's not an example of biblical loving leadership in the home? Well, what you really have to do is apart from where there's abuse, sexual immorality, or where he's leading you into any illegalities or anything that causes you to compromise on your biblical convictions, apart from those things, the Bible really does paint a picture of unconditional submission. It does. And we don't love that language, and I understand that. But you're going to learn here in just a moment that the men in the relationship also have an unconditional responsibility. And so, again, equal in regards to unconditionally submitting and what the man's going to have to do unconditionally. So the last thing uh, I want to really look at is that the spirit-filled wife prays for husband's leadership of her family. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Lisa Turkis. She, she uh, leads Proverbs 31 Ministries. At least I think she still does. And if you've heard anything about her, she's been through a, a challenging season in her marriage, and, and she doesn't hide that. It's actually part of her testimony. Uh, and Lisa Turkis wrote this about marriage and about prayer. She said, determine to pray more words over your marriage than you speak to others about your marriage. You know, one of the things I appreciate most about you, Amy, is that you are so faithful in covering our family in prayers. If, if there's anything about the way that she respects my headship, my leadership, and, and submits, it's the fact that she continually brings me and our family to the feet of the cross and makes a petition for us and just cries out to God for us. And I, I hear her do it. And uh, I'm just so grateful for that. And I think, I think that's a good mark of a spirit-filled woman, that she would pray for her husband's leadership. So you want a blueprint, wives, of, of how to do this? Well, we study the church. And wives will find in the church's submission to Christ a model for intelligent, gracious, trusting, and respectful submission. Yeah. So what about the men? Can't let the men off the hook, right? Now, the men, as I mentioned before, Paul gives them several responsibilities. So basically, it's going to be summarized this way. The spirit-filled, Jesus-following husband loves. He loves his wife. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the deepest sacrifice we see right there. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, ministering as priest, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. We see the sanctifying work that Christ does for the church. And in the same way that Christ sacrificed and ministers and sanctifies, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. In the same way. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it in just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So how does a spirit-filled man love his wife? Well, God's love for you is selfless, uh, selfless, sanctifying, and nourishing. So our love for our wives should be a reflection of that. Our love for our wives should be selfless, sacrificing, right? Sanctifying and nourishing. So one, spirit-filled husbands selflessly should love their wives now, Christ gave himself for the church, and so we give ourselves away too. But a lot of men have gotten the impression that the way that we primarily give is through provision. So I, well, I'm taking care of things around the house. I, I got those bills covered. You got a roof over your head. Bread's on the table. I bring home the bacon, right? But provision is not enough, man. That's only a part of our responsibility. 
A woman needs your time. She needs you to prioritize her over your hobbies, over your interests, even sometimes over your ambitions. I know you're building businesses, and you might even be building a business together, but husbands, it's your job as the leader of the home to identify where, where there's an inadequacy in the relationship, where your wife needs some selfless love, and you put the brakes on this and love her. She needs your time. You know, I think about the idea of being present. There's times when I'm in the home, and I'm even sitting there with Amy, but I'm not actually present. I'm not present. And she needs my presence. Like, I got to be here, not somewhere else. So in that, while we're present, we want to listen. That takes time, doesn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it's at the wrong time, too. I'm, man, I'll start snoring. Literally, I just get my first deep snoring. You know, you're kind of like in between that lucid state. You can kind of hear yourself snoring. Is anybody? Just me? Okay, so, so, and then all of a sudden she's like, babe, <laughs> babe, what's up? <laughs> what do you need? But you do it. She needs us to be emotionally available. She needs us to turn off the game sometimes. You know, for, for our family, you know, Amy right now is home with three kids and, and she's homeschooling and, and they're five and under. And so I'm the only adult voice that she might hear all week long. And the last thing she needs me to do is come home and turn a game on and veg out when she's like, I'm going crazy over here. I don't know if you noticed. And I'm like, well, I noticed you crazy, but I didn't notice why. So now I realize, what, oh, it's my fault. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm kind of stirring the crazy pot. I got you. So um, and we need to, in the midst of that conversation, by the way, Amy is not crazy, but you, know, you guys know what I'm saying. In the midst of that conversation, we need to consider what she's saying. She has unique views and perspectives and opinions. And just because we don't understand and because we perceive her to be saying some things that don't jive with us, she actually has many valid points. And if we don't learn to put ourselves in her shoes and really almost for a second say, man, how would a woman think through that process? I need to think that way so I can understand her better. Like, if, if we don't do that, we're not really there. We're not really giving her emotional availability. And we need to serve her. We need to give more of ourselves. You know, every time that I'm tired, every time Amy wakes me up as I'm getting ready to fall asleep, every time, man, Amy will lay down in, in, in the bed, right? And she's got a book cracked open or you know, maybe she's perusing the phone or whatever, and, and I'll come in the room, just got done brushing my teeth, ah, Listerine, lay down in the bed, hey, babe, can you give me some water? <sighs> Sit up, okay. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? In my flesh, it drives me nuts. Could you have asked me a minute ago? I, was li I literally had my cup in my hand, and your cup, <sighs> but you know what I do? Sometimes. <laughs> I get up most of the time these days. I, I do it more often. And you know why I do it more often now? Because I have learned that when I do it, not only does it serve her well, but God gives me a pat on the back, a little attaboy. He, he literally will speak to me. That's how I call you to love your wife. And it's cultivating a habit in my, in my thinking about doing that. 
So that's the first thing, selflessly loving. Second thing, a spirit-filled husband sanctifies his wife. You're the pastor of your home. Like Christ is the priest to us, the body. You're the pastor of your home, and you are called to edify, to protect the way that a shepherd protects sheep, to admonish, to build up, to, to bring correction and teaching and instruction in the Lord, to disciple. We're, we're called as men to disciple. You know, I said earlier that women have been the backbone of many, many things in, in, in you know, this generation. Uh, unfortunately, we see so many women excelling in their devotion and Bible and teaching. And so they're the ones bringing instruction to the family rather than the husbands. It's backwards, though. We're supposed to be the pastors of our home. You got to start asking yourself this question. Am I living up to my God-ordained responsibility? Is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me? Or is she like Christ in spite of me? Has she shrunk from the likeness of Christ because of me? How about, am, I, am I killing her? Is she a better woman because she's married to me? These are important questions that you need to be asking yourself, man. So two, the spirit-filled husband sanctifies his wife. Three, the spirit-filled husband nourishes his wife. And this is a little out of character for us, right? We're not mother hens. We're not nurturers by nature, right? But Christ nourishes and cherishes the church, and we're called to love our wives like Christ loved the church, so we're called to nourish and cherish. You know, I've got to be concerned with my wife's needs. When I walk in the house and I'm tired and I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and she's considering me and she's thinking about what my needs are, do you know what I'm supposed to be doing at the exact same time? Doing the same thing for her. How can I pour more of myself out for my wife and my family? How can I alleviate some of her burden right now? Yeah, I'd love to kick my feet up on that couch right now. Yeah, I'd love to make myself a little drink and sit down and, and sip on some Michael Buble, uh, bubbly drink, you know? Yeah, I'd love to have some of that. But you know what? The kids have been wild. The house is undone. My wife is literally sweating and shaking, and she needs me. I'm like, baby, hit the road. Go to the grocery store. Go do something. Get out the house. Let me get the kids down. Let me walk them through the nighttime routine. I want to preach the gospel to them anyway, and I want to worship with my kids. So, so let me do that, and, and you know what? Take as much time as you need and come back when you're ready. That's how a husband nourishes his wife. Do I appreciate my wife for all of the sacrifice that she makes? Do I encourage her when she's downtrodden, when she's beat up from the week? Do I lift her up? Do I affirm her and let her know that she's beautiful and that she's everything that I could hope for in a wife and that there's nobody else that I look at? You men getting a little uncomfortable thinking about saying those things? A lot of men struggle to communicate that way to their wives, but it's so vital that women hear these things from us. That's how we nourish them. We've got to learn how to do it. Your leadership should nourish your wife. And you know what, man? Maybe we need to text our buddies that you seem, that seem to be having a great marriage and ask them, hey, man, give me a little help with this. I want to grow in this area. But if you want a basic blueprint for how to do this, we look at Christ. Husbands finding Christ a model for sacrificial, loving, strong, tender. I said tender. Headship. It's, it's a little bit outside of our nature. Sometimes it's a little bit outside of the character that we've developed or the habits that we've developed. But that's how we're called to love our wives. Husbands are called to lead their, lead their wives 
by Christ's example. And Christ's love is unconditional. So wives, I, I said earlier, if your husband's not loving you in this way, man, I want to challenge you. Submit anyway. Out of reverence for God as unto the Lord. And, and husbands, maybe your wives don't submit well. I want to challenge you. Love your wife anyway as unto the Lord. And as you stop guarding yourself and stop withholding parts of yourself and just give all of yourself away in the name of Jesus, not only will it build you up in your faith, it'll mature you, it'll, it'll continue the work of, of sanctification in your life, but I can assure you that it will produce some sort of fruit, possibly in your marriage, and at least it might be a testimony to this other person who is unloving or unsubmissive due to their own sinfulness, and it'll point them to Jesus. So we go back to where we started, verse 33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. And each one of us will answer to God. Each one of us will be held to account for this. And I think it's important that we examine our hearts and that we ask God for help. And he's faithful. He will help us. He'll give us all of the things that we need to be successful in this area. So why don't you guys go ahead and join me in prayer and we're going to ask him for that help. I did say that being successful in your marriage starts by being in Christ. And, 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 you know, there's some of us who, who have been playing the religious game and we might come to church and, and we might even have a bunch of Christian buddies, and, but our marriage doesn't look like theirs or maybe it doesn't look like what I just shared with you. And, and, and maybe that has to do with you having not truly yourself submitted to Christ. Men and women alike, we're called to submit our lives, to surrender. And now's a great opportunity for you to do just that. You've heard the gospel throughout this message. But I'm going to give you one other specific that I think is really helpful. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, creator of heaven and earth, the one in whom all things are held together, stepped off of his throne, became a man, and submitted to the Father's will obediently unto death on the cross so that you could have life. And now he wants you to share in the resurrection with him. And not just the resurrection. As he ascended, he's bringing us along in this ascension as well. He's lifting us up. He'll lift you up in your marriage. He'll lift you up in your life. But it starts with laying your life down here in this place. If you want Jesus, forgiveness for your sins, to know the love of the Father, to have right relationship with God, all you have to say is, that's me, God. I want that. I cast my cares upon you, Jesus. I lay my life down at your feet. I give you all of who I am, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, my marriage, my sin. Thank you for your love. I thank you that you, I'm believing right now that you are going to use me. You're going to do something great in my life. And it's going to produce fruit that impacts eternity. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's stay in this attitude of prayer. For those of you that just prayed that prayer, you are part of the body of Christ now. You are now a member of this church, this, this one that's called to submit to Christ. So we submit to you, Christ, together as, as your people. God, we lay our lives down. God, would you help us to be successful at, at being spirit-led, but also at, at practically working this out in our marriages, God? God, for the men in this room, teach us to love like you love. Teach us to lay our lives down for our wives and for our families, Lord. God, teach us to... to 
to, to care for our, our bride in a way that you care for your bride. And for the wives, God, teach them to submit, to respect, to come into proper order out of reverence for Christ. And that together as husband and wife, we can be a reflection of your goodness and your power, a reflection of the gospel to all of creation. God, I thank you for marriage. I thank you for your grace that is sufficient. And I thank you that you are more than enough. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.